This is a never odd or even trigger warning that the following podcast contains references to sexual abuse, suicide and self-harm. If this is a concern for you, we advise you to stop listening now and find one of our other podcasts. Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Moon Knight Experience, a podcast about DID and superheroes from Never Odd or Even, with Praxis Nicholas, John Squires, and Will Nicholas. I can remember when. What am I doing? What am I doing? I don't even have my license. Greetings, friends, and welcome once again to the Moon Knight Experience podcast. Uh, This is episode two, uh, Summon the Suit. Uh, In this episode, Stephen discovers that his previous night's adventure in the museum appears to be a delusion, or was it? He meets Mark's wife, Layla, and Harrow finds Stephen with the help of some friendly police officers and makes another attempt to recover the scarab. In this episode, we're going to be uh, finding out more about the um, the, the person of Stephen, um, the person of Mark, uh, and their relationship to Konsu, uh, and the the, the um, narrative that is unfolding. Uh, Moon Knight, the Moon Knight experience uh, appears to give us small amounts of uh, of, of information uh, as we go through. And part of our role as the watcher is to try and piece together the mystery that's taking place as the main character, Stephen, is doing so also. I'm very happy to be joined once again uh, by uh, Praxis Nicholas and John Squires um, to uh, continue this conversation. Um, and um, uh, I think we'll, we'll jump straight into it. Um, lots to look at in this episode. Um, some theology, um, some uh, interesting um, uh, other glimpses into things that are correct about DID and other bits and pieces that are sensationalizing uh, the delusions and other bits and pieces that that are occurring in this episode. Um, Praxis, what did you um, think of this episode? We all thought it was very, very good. I mean, we have enjoyed pretty much the entire series, Uh, but for us specifically, um, there was definitely a lot less um, DID specific things. So the first thing that was picked out of the entire episode was um, the be not afraid nature of Steven's first interaction with Konshu, mm-hmm. of it being extraordinarily borderline traumatic of, you know, the earth shaking around him and the lights going out, coming back on again, uh, very much in the, the style of, you know, be not afraid. I, I'm not here to hurt you. I just want to talk with you. Um uh, but for the first DID sort of thing that we picked out or we resonated with beforehand was um, the conversation with HR that Stephen had beforehand, uh, before all of that happened, which was about, you know, uh, having to be let go and it's not you, it's it's not us, it's, no, sorry, it's not you, it's us, it's a, you know, and well, we've got, uh, there are some things that we can't quite deal with and and you've had those conversations with HR um, yourself. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. From a DID perspective, how does how does that 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 work? Like in terms of, you know, who who was present for that kind of conversation, and how do others respond from the inside while that's taking place? Well, um, 
for our conversation specifically, uh, I believe it was Ike and Joe who were present because they were the ones who were working predominantly. Um, and uh, after the conversation, uh, Hank stepped in and kind of took the body home without talking to anybody, mm-hmm. without having much conversation with anybody outside at all. Uh, and from what we've been told by recounts of friends and previous colleagues was that there was an air of... Um, uh, what's the term? You know how when you go to touch like a like a, a cactus, mm-hmm. you like you can tell that it's going to hurt, but you don't quite fully grab onto the... Yeah, that. Yep. Yeah. It was it was very spiky, yep. um, and so that was that's been our experience with it more or less, especially the the it's it's just business. Mm. Um, uh, it's fascinating because you know, during that time, as you know, your employer reached out to me as your father, and and uh, and and he would say to me, I, "I can't work out what's going on. It's it's like a different person comes to work um, at different times, and that." He seems to be taught to do something and then doesn't know how to do it um, the next day. Um, so, so whilst your employer was confused, he was probably um, on the money. He probably had it worked yeah, out. No, no yeah. like a hundred percent. Yeah, uh, because from our piecing together things retroactively, we've been able to determine that um, four of us would go to work. So there was Ike, Joe. Hank and myself being Mm. Flynn would go to work intermittently for various times of various things. Usually it had to do with what was happening either before work or after work, um, which happened um, or the person we were dealing with. So if it was a, you know, a particularly down to earth type person, uh, Joe would usually step in being like, Oh, this is a person that I can get along with. This is, you know, one of my people. Um, yeah, and, and definitely let, very different. Let's be clear. Um, this is before a diagnosis, so none of these yes. individuals had names like Ike or Joe nope. or Hank at this no. point in time. Um, so no one had names. There was no frame of reference that you're currently using to be able to describe what was going on or make sense of it in any way. No, all of it. All of the discovery we've been able to make has been retroactive. Mm. Um, there was no communication between any of us up until maybe a year ago. Or a year and a half ago, um, yes. So the communication has been very, very recent. Uh, as with being able to actually be on deck or be around or be, you know, close by, because it takes a lot of energy, which they actually touch on in Moon Knight as well. Being the using all of your willpower to be a fly on the wall, yes. and Mark saying it'll get easier with time. Just breathe through it, because you do feel frozen mm. or stuck. Because you can see, and you can see what's happening, but you can't move. And if you try to move, nothing happens. Um, so it's a little bit distressing, um, which is the reason why oftentimes if people aren't going to be near the front, they're not anywhere near the front, because then the further away you get from consciousness, or from, sorry, active consciousness, um, the easier it is to move and do things. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, yep, yep. So, John, um, your your experience of integration is significantly different to, to Prax's experience, but I guess that, that idea of the wall between us and, and I guess your recent experience of having that wall come down again um, would, would have some that love some levels of that confusion that we're seeing in the, the first parts of this episode. Absolutely. 
Yeah, that's right. Although um, the more recent experience wasn't as confused because I rec could recognise what was happening. But certainly 30 years ago when uh, my my cohesion was falling apart, um, it was, uh, you know, it was thoroughly confused and utterly exhausting. Um, I never had an HR discussion. I uh, My employer never had any idea of that this was going on. And I put that down now, looking back, to the fact that for 30 years, uh, some parts of my system had worked really hard to build strong walls and, in fact, to um, take me out of vulnerable situations uh, so that I could keep on going with normal life. So um, uh, I, I think that whenever anything got too close for comfort, something inside me, someone inside me uh, took me away physically or emotionally or whatever. Uh, so I never actually um, knocked over, did, did any damage in the uh, museum, yes, so yes, to speak. Yes, yes. I vandalised a toilet is what he says. <laughs> yeah, yeah. However, I mean, I was talking uh, about this to Elizabeth after watching rewatching the episode this morning. And Elizabeth and I had been, um, can't remember, fairly soon after we were married probably, um, must have been within a couple of years of being married, and um, she she expressed, she used exactly that phrase, it was like a different person. It was like talking to a different person. So she certainly experienced that full on. And um, she reminded me that we did go for a time to a marriage counsellor to try and work out things. And she said it was a classic case of believe the man, don't believe mm -hmm. the woman. She would say, I don't know what's going on. John's John just becomes entirely different. And the guy would say, well, look, you just have to go with it and you just have to do this and you have to. Gonna... And then one day she reminded me that my Hyde character, my Mr. Hyde, emerged and I stormed out and went off into the car. And uh, they didn't know whether I was driving away or what I was doing. Yep. <laughs> um, and he said, okay, now I believe you. To Elizabeth, he said, okay, now oh, I believe you. Oh, so that you. happened during I've a seen... session. Yep. yep. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I've seen the switch and the entirely different behaviour. So um, I'd, I'd forgotten about that, but she... Um, quite kindly reminded me of that so that I could talk about it today. <laughs> and I think that this, that's, a, that's a fascinating connection to the fight scene in the street where, you know, he's, 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 yeah. Stephen's put on the suit, he summons the suit as the episode's called, but it's mm. a completely different suit to the one that Consu usually calls on, um, described as uh, Psycho as Colonel Sanders. Psycho okay, Colonel yes. Sanders. And, uh, I can yes. see that. Yes. Um, so, uh, but but in the street there, you've got people who are watching onlookers from the outside, trying to work out what it is that 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 Moon Knight is doing, um, what Stephen's doing, and and some of them are saying he's drunk, and some of them are saying he's having some kind of episode or seizure, um, because because they can't see the whole picture, and so they're trying to work out what what's going on. Whereas whereas Stephen can see the whole picture, and I guess it's not until this this manifestation of this jackal character actually 
um, affects the real world that people begin to realise with panic that something beyond their control is taking place. But, I mean, one one lady just says, is he having some kind of episode or fit yeah. or something yep. or other, you know? Like, yeah. So that's the framework to see yep. it. Uh, that people could see because they're only getting part of the information and even Stephen at the moment is only getting part of the information and and there was pretty nifty um uh pretty some pretty tricky stuff where he was fighting with nobody it seems when you look at it and and pushing really hard and couldn't you know they did some some great cinematography where we were actually switching between what what Stephen sees and what the world is saying. Yes. And, and so that's an interesting. Yes. And, and I was talking to Praxis earlier about this in terms of it, it being like a hallucination, but in, in fact what they've done sensationally with this this uh, comic book TV show is that this is a manifestation, not a hallucination. There's something actually there. Um, but but um, mm. so, so, so what Stephen is grappling with is real. And, and I've struggled with this language, especially... Um, and I feel very sensitive about talking about it in this language because what's real and what's not real, um, what's true and what's false, um, becomes very blurry in this kind of situation. And, and yeah, and I mean, it's the classic absolutist relativist. Relativist. Um, what is true for me is true for me. Does that mean it's true? It's relatively true. It's absolutely true for me, but is it absolutely yeah. true? Full stop. And it's really hard to know <laughs> how to do with that. So I, I, I happily sit, like theologically, as well as intellectually and emotionally, I happily sit within relativism yep. and say, this is what it is for me. This is how I am, have made sense of it. Um, you might make sense of it differently. And sure, let's then talk about how we see things differently rather than saying, no, no, this is what I've discovered. And like God, re- religiously, God has told me, so that's the yeah. truth. That's this it. is how it must be. So Stop. this is what it is. And this is, yeah. this is a great yeah. segue no, no. into the theological content that's in this episode because <laughs> because really what we've got between Konsu and Ahmet here is is not, not relativism but actually absolutism. We've got this interesting view of when we're talking about justice as absolute um, and so Konshu is all about absolute retribution for evil committed um, and Ahmet is all about absolute removal of evil and actually there's this great quote in it where it says uh, the path to good is by eradicating the very choice of evil um, it comes from Harrow mm-hmm. as he's um, talking about Ahmet. So let, I think that's a great place for us to leap off into this because um, religious thought and thinking sometimes is full of absolutes. Um, uh, in Matthew 5, mm-hmm. 21, in the back half of the Beatitudes, we've got a, a, a number of reasonably absolute statements by Jesus in the centre of this, uh, uh, of this um, story about blessings and woes. Oh, well, they're not reasonably absolute. They're just <laughs> yeah. absolute. I was being kind. <laughs> um, um, yeah, uh, like uh, Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I mm. say to you, and instead of saying, well, it's not quite like that, he just says, yep. whammo, no. So if you even think this, it's as if you've mm. committed it. Um, and uh, the, the, I mean, the 
biblical scholar in me wants to say Jesus as a Jew of the first century was using typical Jewish mm. rhetoric of exaggeration, hyperbole, intensification to get a point across. So it's not just saying, look, if you feel a bit angry, you know, go and see a counsellor. He's saying, if you feel angry, you have committed murder. You are done for. And that's a shock tactic to get you to um, address it and yeah. respond to and it. And to push that <clears throat> further, yeah. Matthew as a Jew is using Jesus to actually make that point to his community. So you've got you've got layers oh, of intent oh. and exegesis actually taking Absolutely. place here. Oh, you were well taught, Will. <laughs> Very I was good. listening in those classes, John, yes. <laughs> so so it's not just that you know this is what jesus said but this is what matthew says jesus says um and so you've actually got yes. and, and matthew is attempting to appeal to a particular community and so and matthew is writing in a position of intense mm. polemic uh where the the positive relationship has broken down because of claims people in his community are making about Jesus, which do not sit well with the Jewish mm. authorities. And so Matthew intensifies and hardens the picture of Jesus as the teacher with the authoritative yep. take. You know, he kind of almost absolute, no, I shouldn't say almost. He definitely does. Yeah, he absolutizes Jesus. Jesus is the one that is saying this is this is how and, it is. and it's interesting that in the face of absolutism when when we have two conflicting absolutes they actually become they intensify they become more so um and so when we roll that back into the hr discussion you know um a, mm. an hr manager absolutely sees that this business requires these things to happen in order for things to continue the employee absolutely understands that things are not as they seem and and so you've got a conflict of of, of certainty um, in, in that situation. Mm. I think going back slightly into the reality and I don't even know what the term to use is. Perception? I don't. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the material perception and the intellectual perception. Um, I, this is going to sound absurd and of course it is because it is i live on oh, a imagine um no no we're walking live... on the edge of uh, of absurdity absurdity yes yeah, so. and it's the, the reason why i'm doing this episode is because i am the one of the system who enjoys absurdity i, I thrive and live in chaos as it is i am so gender neutral for the listeners can you give us the i am uh, practice oh sorry flynn yep. um i think i did it before i don't think i did it at the start that's okay um i identify as gender fluid and as um, humanoid, mm. so I'm 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 just here, always. Um, I live on a ship that rotates around the headspace mm -hmm. in the sky, um, because when I was asked what I wanted to do in my spare time, I went, I want to be a space pirate or a sky pirate, and so that's what I do when I'm not out here. Is I am spending time on my ship doing stuff with my ship um and i have the ability to jump a lot higher run a lot faster um and do things a lot better internally than i do out here because mm. this is not my body um and so the the absolutism of it is what it is and it is nothing else it is what i can feel and see and touch and mm -hmm. nothing else is 
conflicting and constantly at odds because I can feel, see, hear, touch, and smell a bunch of things. For example, at this minute, so 402, 9th of the 9th, um, Eddie, who is one of the other system members, is currently cooking a cake internally because it is um, someone's name day mm -hmm. in a couple of days. So I can smell a cake being cooked. Yep. Can smell it. I know what it's coming from. I know it's coming from that way. But there is no cake in your house. But that way is a window mm -hmm. to the outside. There is there is no there is no cake in my house. There yep. is no there is a wall there. <laughs> That's it. Um Yeah. I see because I'm I'm so close to sitting in in the the, the blur between the material and the headspace. Um, I can see what is happening inside. If I slightly allow myself to dissociate a little bit, I can actually look through and, while looking in the real world, look into the internal world as well. Real world is a damaging concept because it's what we do is real as well. Yep. Um, so what happens, yep. though, when you attempt to run or fly or jump in a way that you perceive you can in a world that's actually limited by gravity and space and size mm. and strength. Well, um, Dad, do you remember how clumsy I was when we lived in the same house? Yes, I do. Yeah, that's that's what happens. <laughs> yep. I the the body tries to compensate for what I'm doing, but it's not possible to compensate, and so I fall on my face. Yep. Or I lose grip on what I'm holding. Or I you know, do this, that, or the other thing. It, the, the clumsiness was me being myself and the body not being able to handle that. And so one of the things I've had to do, as well as Hank and a couple others, is to work out where the body's limit is mm. and then to work around that limit or to, to extend that limit in a, in a way that is human. Mm. Um well, welcome to old age before you get exactly. there. Exactly, yeah. yeah. A little bit of the body and knowing what you can do around that. <laughs> Sorry. Oh my God, that's, that's completely honest. Um, for, for, for example, an example that I love, Hank's had to learn humanity because Hank can mm. hold his breath for 15 minutes. The body cannot hold its breath for 15 minutes. Mm. It can do it for about one. Mm. And so that's a little bit jarring. So, 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 um, um, Flynn, you're talking about the body yep. as if it's a different entity from yes. you. So, so, how does this work? I, I'm that is, I kind of, but I don't yeah, kind of. That's know. okay. Um, one of the things that we as a system did at the very beginning of our or beginning of our um, understanding when the lights turned on and the walls came down, we went, "Oh my gosh, there are other people in this room." Why are there other people in this room? What's going on? Um, we all had a conversation to say, this body, we are Zach. Which one of us is Zach? And all of us kind of mm -hmm. went, no, it's not me. I'm Zach at Cadets. I'm Zach on the weekends. I'm Zach on a stage. I'm Zach in the kitchen. Uh, but I'm not Zach. Zach. No. So what we discovered and what we decided on as a system was that Zach is the name we would give to the body. So this, this is Zach. The, right. the body, the hair, the, the, the arms, the legs, the everything, this is Zach. Um, which is the reason why at the moment we're not super uncomfortable with the fact that 
um, our driver's license or our not driver's license our id is under zach um the lease for the house we're renting is under zach because passport. it is zach's house yeah it is zach's passport these are zach's clothes um they may sorry these are clothes that fit zach they don't belong to zach so this is hank's shirt but it fits zach so zach was the name that we used in order to give respect and pay respect forward to the physical body because the physical body is necessary um we gave it a name I would imagine, though, it's not just the physical body either. I mean, there are times where you would come up against absolute. So say, for example, an authority, a police officer or a customs officer or somebody wants you to explain to them who you are. It, it's going to be complex for you to attempt to tell them any of the the the, the DID story. It's going yeah. to be much easier in the face of that absolutism for you to be able to say, this is me. Um, and and not to actually confuse their certainty with with your complexity. Um, yeah, Z Zach is the human mask we have to put on when we go into a place that is not necessarily safe. Mm. Um, it sucks. It's very uncomfortable. I don't like it. It's like putting on a paper mache head. Mm -hmm. It's very stuffy, and you can't breathe properly. Uh, but no, Zach is the name of the, the human mask that we put on. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So, is it, is it the suit? Yeah, but it's not as cool. It's really <laughs> not as cool. It is the suit. You're right, but it's not as cool. Yeah. To to use the show's analogy, yes, Zach would be our suit. The suit is, and and there are different suits as we will discover. Yeah. Um, but we yeah. only have the one. My understanding is that the suit is given by Konsu to the champion of Konsu. So at some stage. Harrow um, would have been um, the champion and he would have worn a suit of his own. Yeah. Um, and and so one of the things I find fascinating about the suit is that even when Stephen manages to switch on the manifestation of Konsu and gain the superpowers, he's still pretty bad at fighting and he's not actually able to coordinate um, a, a response. Um, it's not until we actually see... That, that musically intense moment where Mark actually can, gains control, the suit then turns into a cool-looking Egyptian kind of setup, yeah. and, and he's actually able then to parkour his way across the city and impale the uh, the jackal-like creature until um, it turns into sand. So, so there there is that that sense that even with the super, even uh, even with superpowers, um, Stephen is is not um, able to be as proficient at some things as Mark. That's because the body won't do what he wants it to do. Let's... <laughs> sorry, I took the words out of your mouth. I'm sorry. Wait, no, that's fine. The, the, um, when, when Hank and I watched it the first time when it came out, um, we had to pause the show because Hank and myself spent a solid 15 minutes laughing because we have categorical proof that different, different people in the system have different things. So there was a period of time where Zach did cadets. Um, mm -hmm. Hank did most of the cadets while Zach did cadets. One of the things we have to do is a live fire exercise where you literally get to see what your grouping is for firing 10 rounds. Mm -hmm. Hank's is very different to mine. Mm -hmm. And we've seen it because there was literally is one of the, there's a story that we have, which is a memory that we share, which is very rare for the drill sergeant of the live fire exercise saying, Nicholas, why is your gr grouping so wrong? 
you did this yesterday and it was so much better. What's going on? And we said, mm. I don't know. I I don't know. I, I said, I don't know. I, I did what you said. You said, scope, mm. breathe, shoot, breathe. I, that's what I did. I did the exact same thing. And he literally shows me the grouping from yesterday mm. where it's like 10 shots within maybe five mil, I think. I don't remember. Um, but it was it was really good. It was a very good grouping. And but because it was not a very good consistent grouping, mm. there I, was no prize for it. I've seen this praxis um, again and again as a parent. You, you, you as your ch- a child, you would bring home these report cards from school that would say, <laughs> Zach knows the work. Zach shows promise and needs to focus in order to reach his full potential. Um, there, there is this misunderstanding that the teachers constantly had. <laughs> the, we've chucked up that the phrase needs to focus usually means that I was near the front. I have very little focus. I am currently, as we're talking at the moment, doing four different things because that's how I can keep my brain focused. Right. <laughs> um, but no, it's... Yes. The body not being able to do the same thing or the suit not being, you know, the suit not being the be-all and end-all of ability is very, very uh, true in, at the very least, our experience of DID. Because... So what is reality then? I mean, all all of these things push up against this, what is absolute, Mm -hmm. what is reality, and it, it makes it really hard for us to dogmatically say this is even this is my reality let alone this is reality what 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 is the reality of of praxis zach i had a conversation with someone um recently more recently recently is always a fuzzy term for us because time is weird um but their idea of reality is the space that you spend most of your time in so 90 percent of the time people are awake the waking world is reality Right, but ninety percent of the time, I spend my time inside, where I have classes from different system members. So I do uh, maths and English. No, I do maths from Xavier, which means that my teacher is a robot. I do English from Ico, which means that my teacher is a fay. I do uh, PE from Hank, which means that my, Hank or Garen, which is my teacher, is either a 10-foot-tall lizard man or a paladin. And I do home economics with Joe and Eddie, which means that my teacher is either a 47-year-old farmer-slash-ranch owner or a 15-year-old chef. So that is my reality. So who is the I doing this? Flint, Flint, sorry, it's still Flint. Um... Okay. But all of the kids within our system do some kind of schooling or some kind of class so that if we need to be out the front, we can still do the things that we should be able to do without breaking the mold of being a child. Mm. There is a level of learning and teaching and everything else that happens within the internal space of the system so that everyone in the system is able to be independent because that's our end goal is independence. But I spend most of my time internally, where I don't look like this, where I'm not Australian. 
where I have. Because you do, you're not just job sharing, you're actually identity sharing yeah. or your body sharing. Yeah. So you're all these identities that are sharing a body. So you only have a certain amount of allowed time. Yeah. Um, to be fair. To, in order to be fair to everybody else and in order to maintain yeah. a harmonious symbiosis, um, we have to share. Mark and Stephen are only just learning about yep. sharing. And so for Stephen, he's had no sense no. of anybody else until what we're seeing. And Mark must have had uh, some sense of Stephen, yep. but Mark has been able to, like, determine when Stephen comes out. Most of the adults in our system, I say most, actually, I'm pretty sure it was just Hank, potentially. Regardless, there were a handful of adults in our system that were aware of someone else. Mm. So Ike knew about me. Didn't know about anybody else, and so there was this nebulous weird time of stuff that was happening, <laughs> but could determine and, 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 and plan around when I was going to be out the front to when they could be out the front. Mm. So there were periods of time, mm. specific memories and that kind of thing, that I have of us having an open house over a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, where members of the community and the congregation would be able to come to our house, play board games, have food, that kind of mm. thing. I would usually go to bed early on a Friday night because I was very tired. And then Zach, being piloted by Ike, would get up and do the remainder of the evening and come out with so much more energy and so much more energy and like all of those different things. Mm. Because... I was like, I'm going to bed now. I'm tired. Ugh. And while I was asleep, Ike got up because Ike could determine when that was going to happen. Now, because of communication, we can literally, like, borderline at will, communicate with each other and switch mm -hmm. as to who's out the front. Um, so, Zach, does the – sorry, Prax, does the body get – well, I'm asking Zach, actually. Does the body get tired? Like, yes. So, so if if the personalities run the body 24-7, does there mm -hmm. come a point where the body says, no, no more, yep. this is it, I'm done? If there are too many switches in quick succession, if there are too many switches in total, or if we do not look after the body. Mm -hmm. So we eat at different times to the body. We eat at different times normally. Um, and we sleep at different times. If those three things are not met, the body gets sick, mm -hmm. the body gets headaches, and the body is less responsive pretty much universally. And I guess if you all eat at different times without consulting each other, the body would become overfed. Yes. Mm. Yep. Or underfed um, if nobody was eating. Or underfed if you – yes. So there's a balance of eating – internally and eating externally so usually when the body is eating externally everyone is eating internally in order to keep up a momentum and a time of this is when i'm hungry i should eat so so john when um we're looking at your system when we're talking about yours that, that, that certainly there seems to be a measure of control that that somebody somebody in that system has been very able to make sure that no one in the world actually is aware. So it, as you said before, it takes you, takes you off. Um, uh, does that like, uh, I, I guess there's a sense in which um, that, that, that decision is being made by the, by the protector in your system. 
Well, I'm thinking that that was the case, <clears throat> but I've only ever known myself as John, and 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 um, the other personalities or entities uh, that did eventually uh, name names for themselves, or I named them. Um, they were always. Um, <sighs> They became, a, I became aware that they were a part of me, but I was never, and I would switch into them or they would, they would kind of grab me and <laughs> take me in, into them. They would come out, they would emerge and then leave. That was the, that was the, that, those switches were the exhausting things. And then when the um, much more aggressive end of the spectrum came out that would just write off the rest of the day from because that was destructive behavior that was happening and um so then i would switch to the other extreme of the system which was could not do anything <clears throat> as we talked about before that because this is about perception um of reality um it's actually mm. I imagine from a therapeutic or treating perspective, it would be impossible to make a singular statement about, about DID that, that each, each person's yes, construction that's... of reality in order to make sense of yeah. um, this lack of absolutism um, would actually be, would actually um, need, need to be, need to be understood and taken seriously with every every, every type of treatment. Yeah, look, a personality is a creative thing. You know, we create personalities. We may not be doing it consciously, but but we create who I create who I am as a human being, as an integrated human being, and and I create the personalities because of the various needs that I have emotionally to um, to deal with. So there stuff. might be some people listening to say, "Oh, this is just all made up." Um, and and the the truth of it is yes. And if you don't think that your personality is made up, then you're actually fooling yourself. Like is what I would say to those listening to say that that as you say, John, every single one of us curates our personality, um, creates a, a role for ourselves, um, decides what we will wear and what kind of message we want to put out by what we're wearing and how we'll say we make decisions about our hairstyle and color and and shape um we 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 curate we all make up our identity as needed um and what i'm hearing about did is that the need to curate identity becomes even more important because of this this um this 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 multiple personality um situation where there are there are uh, there is a need to quantify more than one identity that is actually distinctly separate from the others. Also, in our case as well, distinctly separate from the body. Mm, from the body. So it, it, it mm. is, it's exacerbated by the fact that I don't think any of us in the system look like the body or act like the body. Or we all sound like the body because mm. we have to speak through the body. But even then, the, the voices and the tonality that we use is different. So at this point in time, we're at episode two of the podcast. That's right. If you listen through episode one, you will hear the fact that 90% of the time talking, it is Hank. Yep. 
And as we continue, you'll probably be able to tell that more and more often mm. because the language that's used is different. The tonality is different. The sentence structure is different. The fact that we like everything that we do, we take as much control as possible over the voice, but it only goes so far. And and if you want to check that even further, a really clear example of that is in the episode of Deep Faith Nine called Facets. Um, so that was an episode that Praxis joined me on. Um, there are uh, at least four switches in the um, the, the yep. Facets episode because of the way that the episode is is designed. So it's um mm. it's a uh, it's 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 uh, it's worth listening to that to to get an impression. Yeah. Mm. Um. There are. It's it's one of the things that I wanted to note, point out, and and make note of was the um the very full body movement when Steve switches with Mark. Mm -hmm. That's a very dramatized like <clears throat> thing. It's not at all necessary for well, it's it's not necessary for our system mm -hmm. of DID. We do a played down version or a slightly less fantastical version so that people who are in the space with us can know, okay, someone else is here Yep. because it's a polite thing to do. It's introducing yourself. Well, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a cue that actually um, lets yeah. people know that something is, yeah. has changed. Um, whether it's an intake of breath or a rolling of shoulders or a stretching or a yawning, or it's also therapeutic for the individual taking the body too, because you have to get used to being in the body. Mm. So it's, it's very much like putting on a suit, <laughs> which we talked about earlier. Um, Um, so I guess I want to um, circle back to this this idea of of um, of commitment uh, um, in a non absolute space in terms of um, contracts. So we get this conversation between Mark and Consu, where where Mark uh, Consu is saying to Mark, "This wasn't our agreement. You promised that he would never actually be a problem." And so Mark has, from that we infer, Mark has promised Consu that um, that that. Stephen or anyone else who might be a part of the system will not be part of their agreement. Um, um, so that's, that's fascinating um, to think about the idea that what, what one of you agrees to may not necessarily be what all of you agree to. Um, and you want to talk a little bit about that practice? Uh, yeah. I, look for us. The best person to talk about that would be Ike. So. I'm going to talk about it. Um, hello, it is Ike. How are you doing? Um, for me especially, that was a conversation that came up quite substantially. Because I am engaged. Mm -hmm. I was engaged before we knew we were a system. I was in a relationship before we knew we were a system. And so we've now had to navigate what that means because what one of us is, has agreed to and is necessarily okay with is not the same as anybody else. Mm. Um, what that's resulted in is what, what that has resulted in for us has been a conversation around the concept of polyamory. 
because it is multiple people having multiple relationships means that that kind of thing is not just um greedy or glorified cheating or glorified anything it's it's literally a like it's it's a way for each of us to have more independence mm -hmm. to be able to decide on different things requires an insane amount of communication because of course it does um it also means too that like if the people were around without the engagement aside our friend group and our the people we hang out with are aware of the fact that if something happens to us on the day or beforehand or while we're there they may not get the same person mm. and so all plans that are made whilst made concretely and with the intention that they will go ahead forward have the caveat of understanding that something may happen mm -hmm. if flynn goes somewhere and someone yells at flynn and causes flynn to feel afraid then Flynn won't be around because Flynn will run away. Yep. If I go somewhere <clears throat> and I'm made fun of with the way I dress or the way I talk or the fact that I am quite openly um, gender-neutral leaning both ways, I will not be around because I don't have to deal with that because that's not a thing I have to deal with. Mm. The body has to deal with that because we can't move the body the way we move ourselves. But it's not going to be me. And so there have been several times where um we've made plans with someone to go and have food or to go and play a game and something has happened. Oh, right. have a steak. steak. Have, have a steak. steak. Yeah. Literally have, have a steak. I have one steak and the and the world goes crazy. How's that? Yep. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> For us the example was we went and watched um Oh no, you know the example. Will Will you know the example? Um we went to the boathouse at Cornelian Bay. And we went, okay, I've had a look at the menu. There is raw fish on this menu. If we get the raw fish, someone else is going to turn up because they love raw fish. They love sushi. They love fresh food. They love raw seafood. That's the way that's going to be. And everyone at the table went, okay, that's fine. Feel free. In fact, we will order that for you. So you order what you want and we'll also order that so we can say hello to them. There are positive triggers as well as negative triggers. The negative triggers are the things that are, you know, distressing. Positive triggers are other things. So for, um, for me, uh, we've had it happen accidentally. We went to a performance of like a, a got uh, who's got talent performance, um, and someone started playing a jazz song, and I immediately went, "I love that song," and stepped forward. And so it wasn't me to start with, but it was me to continue until the song finished. And then I went, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I will uh, I'll bid you all good night, have a lovely evening, mm. and I disappeared. Um, so there are positive and negative triggers. And so we get very good and have gotten very good at controlling, identifying, and not restricting, but um, utilizing triggers. Because if one of us needs to do something and they're not responding for one reason or another or they're too far away or it's an emergency, we can play a song and have someone switch in. 
Yep. And that's that's not mm-hmm. unlike things that others will do with mindfulness and meditation, with incense, with with particular yep. sounds. And and one of the treatments that well not treatments, but one of the processes that I used in my first year at theological college, um, I, I, the faculty at the college were actually thinking seriously about discontinuing my studies because I couldn't write an essay to save my life. In fact, I can't remember. It might have been you, John, or somebody else who wrote in the comments. This essay reads like somebody started writing it halfway through and somebody else actually finished it off. Um, and and it was oh, because wow. I have, I've got a left brain, right brain disfluency. So one of the things I have to do even to this day that I, I learned to do in my second year as a candidate in college was to actually conduct mindfulness episodes in, uh, exercises in my, in my brain um, to determine whether I was going to do something as a left brain activity or a right brain activity um, because of that, that left okay. right disfluency. And so once I'd worked out how to do that, um, I could then write an entire essay from the right side of my brain or from the left side of my brain. Um, so, and, and, and I've been told that that's a function of dyslexia that, um, that, uh, that, 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 uh, and so what you're talking about in terms of positive triggers is really, um, is, is something that perhaps, um, people, um, with, with other frameworks might be able to tap into and have empathy for because, because there are triggers of mindfulness that actually allow us to be, to, 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 to activate certain parts of who we are. So I so I've got a kind of a psychological question that that takes me back to the theological mm. dilemma, mm-hmm. and that is uh, about what is reality, and this is reality for me. This is this is how it is for me, and you're on the outside looking at it, seeing it differently. It looks like I'm having an epileptic yeah. fit, but I'm actually fighting a cosmic battle. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, so, so the, the so, so what is uh, reality? It struck me that um, the original is actually um, Mark, that Mark has created mm-hmm. Stephen, but we start with Stephen and we trace through. We're seeing the whole thing yeah, from yeah. Stephen's point of yeah. view. And so reality or the first person of the system mm. mark is starting to impinge on someone that mark has created mm. for whatever reason and um so we've been lured into a false we've been lured into a perspective and it's not mark's perspective it's stephen's perspective and stephen's perspective is crumbling and falling apart so what is reality and how yeah, do we question. how do we transform from from one yeah I, I, no i haven't framed that i even wonder well. if we have been lured because in one sense it's a bias a normality bias to say that the first person no. is the realist person um that <laughs> that that part of the the great writing i think of this series is that we have entered through stephen's reality which is not what we might call the original reality but it doesn't yes. make it the most valid reality. Um, it doesn't make Marx the most valid reality because because our entry point, our origin as the viewer, is from Stephen, and Stephen's origin, from Stephen's perspective, is from Stephen. So, does does seniority? But Mark is Mark is the creator well, of Stephen. But, but it does seniority create reality? Because technically, <laughs> in that regard, our creator is 
um, uh, is Joe. Because Joe is the oldest member of the system. Well, I, I'm wondering who it was that I held in my arms seconds after they were born. Like, that's an interesting question to be asking as well. Um, there's exactly. no, no way to ascertain that. So no, that, that's a, none of us have any memories of that. That's a fascinating question of infinity stretching backwards and asking. My yep. question that yes. occurred to me, John, was the other direction. What is the S, uh, right. and I'm asking this to, to Praxis, but I guess mm. um, also, John, from, from your understanding of the system as well, what is the eschatological hope um, for these systems? Um, so eschatological means end of time. Well, um, he's just reacted like he was swearing at it. <laughs> so you know? so, so I guess at the end of everything, like at the, uh, you know, when we talk about an eschatological hope um, in a very basic sense might be when I die, I'll go to heaven, right? Mm. Um and, yes. and I'll have a new body and my new body will be awesome um, and uh, I'll be able to do all these kinds yes. of things. Um, yep. yeah, so, so for me, 30 years ago, the eschatological hope was healing. That is to say, in the psychiatric uh, framework that I was operating, um, fusion of identities leading ultimately to integration to be one mm -hmm. person. And so I've, I felt like and it was confirmed to me or affirmed to me that I had achieved that uh, integration and I continued on without having dissociative mm -hmm. episodes. And yet now, 30 years on from that, looking back, I can see how I didn't kill off any of those entities. What I did was bring them into me and they are all still there in one way or another, mm. but they're not, they're not present in a way that takes over the yep. whole. They are contributors to an entity. Yeah rather than separate entities. And that's where I understand my <laughs> existential yep. state to be very different from Praxis's system's existential state. Too many systems. So, so Praxis, at the, at the end of, of, of life, um, you, you know, what reality mm. do you... Um, and, and the reality is we're all constructing reality when we have these questions, mm. these 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 um these thoughts about things beyond our ability to grasp how mm. how how might you what would you your existential hope be your your hope at the end of of everything for the entities that that exist within the system um it's hank switched halfway through talking about the end of time mm. what we <clears> do. um for me, my I'm not going to use the big word you used. My existential hope, what happens at the end for me, is that I go back to sleep, mm -hmm. and I sleep until I hear someone else scream out and say I need help, mm -hmm. and then I get up and I do it all again. Mm. That is that is my existential hope is that I keep helping someone until there is no one else to help. So you will become a person in a new system with a different body yep in the future is 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 the the existential uh, understanding that you not have. even the exist it's the understanding that i have because mm. i have done this before before yep 
This is not the first body I've been in. Not the first time I've done this. And in some ways, I mean, that makes me think about the movie Drop Dead Fred. I don't know if either of you have seen the movie <laughs> Drop Dead Fred. Yes. But but in the movie Drop Dead Fred, the the main protagonist, she has a invisible friend who actually yep. helps her to cope with reality. No one can see this person, and this person um, gets her to play jokes and pranks and do various things. At the end of the movie. She um, decides to take medication because she no longer needs this this individual anymore. And we see, as the viewer, Drop Dead Fred actually goes to another little girl and actually starts assisting them to actually yeah. um, deal with the reality around them. Oh, so right. That's a fascinating. Um, uh, Rick Mail, um, a very funny movie, highly recommended. Um, Rick Mail's uh, quite a out there British comedian. Um, was um, an out there British comedian, um, but um, but certainly a, um, a, a high, I re- highly recommend the movie. Lots of fun um, and um, and does actually deal with this particular issue from the perspective that you're um, you're speaking from, Hank. Yeah, so that's yeah that is that's my um, that's what happens at the end for me is that the end is the beginning. What about the others? Of something. Mm. Um, I know for a fact that um, Ike's. And because we've had a conversation about this, because we're very open within our system mm-hmm. of talking about life, death, or what happens after. Um, for Oscar, who is our youngest, um, his end is that he gets to play forever. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to sleep. He doesn't need to eat. He can eat when he wants to. He can nap when he wants to. He gets to just play and just mm-hmm. be. Um, for... Uh... For Xavier, Xavier's end, or Xavier's, you know, hope, is that he gets to begin to assist in putting the world into order, mm-hmm. to starting to categorize, every, becomes larger than himself, and gets to put things into order, because mm. that's what he does for us. He does it, gets to do it on a larger scale. Mm-hmm. For Ike's end, Ike gets to perform forever mm-hmm. to bring joy to be joy to be glee to be confidence to like to do those things forever um i think of the system i'm the only one whose end is the beginning yeah. uh and that's yeah entirely because that's the way i started and that's the way i am yep but um everyone else their goal is to be completely independent and that is at the end of the day it's a really morbid conversation but at the end of the day death for us the death of this body will be complete independence there's a fascinating portrayal of that in the uh, latest episodes of discovery um where the the trill character in discovery um, uh, wants to be separate or independent from the host, and and so they work out how to how to do that. And in order to do that, they have to actually end the constructed body of the the host that lives there. So that yep. I can see some interesting pop culture references. One of the things to remember, and if if for those who are listening, is that when we're talking about um, eschatology and existentialism, the best we can possibly hope for is is a constructed speculation about what might be happening. And so, so what we're actually doing when we conduct that exercise as an integrated person is, in some ways, practicing the kind of complexity that that um, that 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 praxis has to do all of the time um, with this this reality. 
um, that, that, that speculative yeah. construction of reality is the way to manage the complexity that he finds himself in or they find themselves in. So it's a, it's a, it's a, I guess I'm, I'm also, I'm looking for ways with this podcast that the listeners can actually go, wow, this is really overwhelmingly confusing. And that's the answer is yes. That's what we're seeing from yes. Stephen and Mark. That's what we're yeah, hearing from Praxis and John. Um, and that if you want to actually at least just be able to glimpse or touch the edge of that complexity, then thinking about these kinds of end times and end, end of end of life or next possibility constructions is, is the best we can hope for. Yep. Mm. Um, there, one of our system members towards the end of year 12 said, I don't want to play this game anymore. I'm finished. I'm done. And so determined that the easiest way, or the, not the easiest way, the most definitive way to do that, where they couldn't be pulled back again for another period of time, was to end the life of the physical body. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> which was... anticlimactic for them, because I jumped in and cut the rope. Like, I said no that's not what's happening Mm. and so there was a period of time up until probably very recently where that person harbored extraordinary resentment and borderline hatred Mm. for me because i kept them here yep um because they were looking at just their individual point Mm. not the point of the system not the point of everyone that's connected with the system and yeah. not beyond that. And so and, and that was a real conversation we had to have was, I know you don't want to leave. I know you want to leave, but you can't leave because there are people here that have stuff they need to do. And if you leave, everyone leaves. Yep. And that's at the and heart of suicidal okay. ideation, I guess, for, for yep. all people is that this idea that, that, um, that there are no other options, um, yep. and and yeah. and I, I guess I, I just want to say that that should um, suicidal ideation be something that um, that that is affecting um, you at this point in time? If you're listening, um, that that uh, one of the the most effective places that you can go to would be Lifeline, um, and I'll yep. include some information about access to Lifeline should this. Um, be a, a triggering um, uh, event for you. Um, that um, that in Australia, um, a Lifeline um, um, started by the Reverend Dr. Sir Alan Walker um, was was actually uh, all about having um, a a option for people who actually believed that there were no longer any options, um, yep. and that the the walking back from the edge of suicidal ideation is is very much about constructing an alliance of reality with the person who has can no longer see options so that they actually become aware of the other possibilities that that do exist yeah and so that is that's something that we no longer have to deal with but had to deal with on a pretty regular basis was that one of us for some reason or another wanted to die and so we'd be having a perfectly good day perfectly fine and then there would be this voice that would cry out and we have to go i don't know why i'm having this thought why am i having this thought i'm actually enjoying myself why is this happening we now know why 
because we can put a face to that voice. Um, and that person has been able to rest and do what it was they needed to do and discover the reason why they wanted to leave, which was not that they wanted to leave. It was just they wanted to rest and to be still and to be like in a state of calm. And so they're able to do that now. So can I just make one comparison then? Well, um, so the comparison for me is that it seems that the personalities that I experienced were uh, not full, uh, not fully formed and complete and independent entities, but they were each, they were each formed for a purpose. They had a particular function. Some are very limited function. A lot of them are very limited function. And when that was communicated within the the whole, um, it was recognised that that's what that function was and we can incorporate that function. You're talking about something that's very different because each of, your, each, each of the people that you've mentioned um, in the Praxis system have um, lives. Yeah. <laughs> have, have full, full lives. Wants, needs, yeah. desires, lives. We all have a function yeah. within the system as it stands. However, we also have preferences, we have desires, we have likes, dislikes, enjoyments, and, and some of those have been, some of them were known at the beginning, some of them have had have yeah. needed to be discovered. Um, and, and you've also got Hank, who is a professional at this, because he's uh, done it in other bodies at other times, oh, which yeah. is all different. Uh, dimension oh yeah getting very very good at it i there are days where i forget which body this is and i can remember bodies in past i can remember right. other and that's that's where i start to lose people <laughs> it's because i go hey yeah i remember doing this thing like a hundred years ago and people go no you don't no, that's no. impossible i like, get that no. I, i've played assassin's creed i make sense of that it, it it's, uh, certainly makes sense from that perspective right um, yeah think think that <laughs> yeah. but i do that <laughs> yeah. yeah now um look one of the things as we bring this podcast episode to a close and look forward to next week where we actually get to see what the adventures of mark uh, and Layla are in Cairo as they they pursue this mm. next part. Um, uh, is 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 I guess one of the things to bear in mind as we're we're working our way through this um, this series, but also um, coming to understand a, a reality that might be very different to our own, um, is that the universe is far more complex um, and intricate um, than we can possibly know. Um, that scientists talk about multiple dimensions within dimensions. And whilst we um, have a clear understanding of what life might be like within three dimensions and can glimpse what life might be like within four, many scientists actually suggest that there might be many more dimensions beyond that that are actually completely hmm. beyond our ability right. to comprehend. Um, and, and so when we start talking about string theory and quantum mechanics, that are that are sciences that scientists are studying they actually realize that we are brushing up against the fact that there is far more to understand about the universe than we can possibly comprehend so um it is up to us to be able to uh, um, construct reality and challenge our absolutism as we go forward uh, 
uh, each and every day. Um, and I, I, I hope that this podcast and Moon Knight actually is assisting us to at least try on that suit from time to time, um, even if it doesn't fit well with us. Um, any final thoughts as we go today, um, um, Praxis or John? I appreciate the opportunity to be able to uh, talk about the fantastical because that is my experience of life mm. as being a member of this system, which is, I think, of the systems I'm aware of, the sixth system I've been a part of yep. um, is fantastical. It yep. is not insane. It is improbable. Um, and so the ability to be able to talk about it here is fantastic mm. and really, really nice. John, any final thoughts today? Um, no, I don't, don't think I have other than echoing appreciation to, to be able to kind of process some of this stuff like this. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, look, join us next week um, as we go further into uh, the, we'll be part, we'll be halfway through um, the series uh, next, next week. Uh, and uh, we look forward to uh, to exploring not just the DID aspects of this series, but also, um, as you've heard today, some highly complex and deeply um, um, uh, confusing theological aspects as well. Until mm. next week, um, thanks to Praxis and John for joining me. I've been Will Nicholas, and this has been a Never Odd or Even podcast, The Moon Knight Experience. See you later. Goodbye.